All right, let's do it. Here we are. Welcome back to another edition of the Stripe Show podcast. It is a froggy Wednesday. We're getting golf early this week. For those of you that are planning on the farmer's insurance at Tory starting on Thursday, you're going to miss the first day. The uh, PGA Tour has decided they are not willing to go against the conference championship games uh, of the NFL, which is probably a smart move. So they started uh, today on Wednesday. We will get the first round of the farmer's insurance, then Thursday, Friday with a Saturday finish. And the AP, uh, the APGA is going to finish on Sunday at Tory televised on golf channel. So lots of golf. We get five days of golf on TV this week. Uh, and hopefully we'll get some good football because those games last week were absolutely nuts. I'm sure we'll talk to talk to our guest about that. Uh, our guest this week may not be a name that you know right off the top of your head, but it's going to be a name that you've heard. And it's also going to be a name you're going to hear a lot about and uh, I want to make sure I get it right because I've, I've seen it multiple different ways. I, if I'm not mistaken, first name is James Hart. Is that correct? 100% correct, yeah. All right. So first name is James Hart, last name Dupree. Uh, if you've heard about James, I'm just going to put it to you like this. He averaged 373 yards off the tour last year on the Sunshine Tour. And to put that in perspective, that is 50 yards longer average than Bryson DeChambeau last year on the PGA Tour. So that tells you how far this man hits the ball. James Hart, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Froggy. It's good to be here, man. You know, it, it, so I've seen 6'9", I've seen 6'10", which is it? Uh, I'm 6'9". I've also seen that I'm 400 pounds. Um, I've <laughs> seen, like, it's been created as if I'm like a Loch Ness monster, but... <laughs> I'm um, 6'9", 255 for anyone who, who wanted to know. Okay, 6'9", 255. So how much of it is, as far as you hit the golf ball, obviously speed's a huge part of it, but long levers create distance. Is that a lot to do with why you hit it so far? Yeah, look, I mean, I definitely think it plays a part. I um, I grew like six or almost seven inches in 10th grade. Um, and before that, I never used to hit the ball far, but I remember that like the day that literally all just clicked and I was like, whoa, what's going on? Um, I was playing the all Africa tournament for South Africa in Mauritius and our team was kind of warming up before the round and I was hitting an eight iron to green. And one of my teammates was like, okay, let's like have a close to the pin to that. Oh, what are you hitting now? I'm hitting eight. Okay, let's go. And he was hitting it like 35 yards short of the green. Um, and I was just like, oh, okay, this is weird. Then he tried my club and was still like 35 shorts of that target. And I just stood there. I was like, oh, okay, this is a new deal. What's going on? Um, but yeah, I definitely think the, the leverage plays a big part in it. Um, but I think the biggest part that I can attribute it to is playing a bunch of sports growing up. Um, I played cricket, rugby, swimming, squash, water polo. Um, and I think all of those sports are all kind of reactionary sports. Right. And if you watch any of the videos that Bryson does, he talks about that central nervous system impulse. Um, and all of those things is super, super quick reactions. And I think that trained a lot of different muscles. So I've encouraged a bunch of kids have asked me, like, how do you hit it far? I tell them first, like genetically get parents who will make you six, nine. Um, <laughs> but, but secondly, like play as much sport as you can. Cause I think, Firstly, if you're going to play golf as a career, you're going to be playing this game for 30, 35 years if you're lucky. And when you look back, you're going to you're going to look back at the times you played team sports, and it's going to be probably some of the most fun times in your life. And and also, it aids a bunch in developing different muscles and and all that good stuff. 
What made you move to golf? Because you said you played so many other sports. So what exactly made you hone in on golf as a career? Um, I started playing when I was about three years old. Um, and it's always in the back of my head. I played all these sports just because I love sport. Um, but I knew, I always knew that I, it's what I wanted to do. It was kind of, it's weird. People have asked me like growing up and I'm sure a bunch of athletes have gotten this regarding their sport, but like, what's plan B, bro? Like hey. what's plan B if this doesn't work? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> this, this is plan A and I'm going to work plan A as hard as I can. And I love what I do. I absolutely love it. I get to do something which is a passion for a job, which is a blessing, but it was always from when I was young, I knew this is what I was going to do. Now, when you were younger, obviously you were, I don't want to say regular height, but you were the size that the average uh, human is. And <laughs> you were able to use golf clubs that were probably fit for the rest of us. But as you've gotten taller and when you did have that growth spurt, how difficult was it to find golf clubs and even now get fit because you can't play anything that's off the rack that a normal person plays. Not that you would play off the rack anyways, but yeah. you can't play a normal golf club that say somebody else plays with ping. Yeah. I remember when I was growing up, um, I was always kind of tall for my grade, but nothing like exceptional. And I always, I used to ask my dad, like, cause I'd get fit into lighter shafts and fit. Well, first ladies flex, then lighter shafts and steel shafts and just naturally progress. And I always asked him like, when am I going to get to like the big boy thing? <laughs> um, and then obviously getting stronger, like having to change all of that up. The guys at Ping, especially Brad Villas in South Africa and uh, Brad Millard in, in Scottsdale have been phenomenal in their fitting process. Um, I think it's fun for those guys because it's something they really enjoy doing, but having to figure out managing the stiffness of the shafts, obviously the added length, but the big deal is actually the swing weights um, because the longer your club goes effectively, the heavier it gets. And to get the balance between the head weight and the shaft um, for the ball flight, not to peak up or anything like that is a, is a real challenge, but um, they've been unbelievable in, in kind of managing that process. But I'd say the most difficult part of the growing was actually the fact that my swing plane would change almost weekly um growing seven inches in a year you're growing so quickly that the distance you are from the ball changes your arc length changes and all that type of stuff adapting to that it took a really long time um i would say probably until i was like 22 years old or 23 years old to kind of settle into the body that i have now and and not have anything drastic change um that was almost that was for sure a bigger challenge than the footing was you know, it looks so effortless when you hit the ball. We watched Bryson hit it, and it looks almost angry. It looks almost, you know, you can tell he's going after it, rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, but when you swing, it looks almost effortless. W what is the difference, and how do you create so much speed with it looking like it? I mean, it's almost it's almost Freddie Couples-esque. Like, you're not even going after it, but, I mean, it's the ball's moving. Yeah, look, I think it's obviously the length of the arc that my club moves on. Um, my wingspan is six, nine. So with a club added on, it's only, geez, I don't know how long that arc is, but the time in which the club travels over that arc and the longer you can apply force to something, the more speed you'll be able to generate. Um, but yeah, the way I feel hitting the ball and the way it looks is, is actually nuts to see the difference. I'll see videos of drives that I do go after and, and get really, really high speeds on and looking at the video, it, like it, even I am surprised at, at the difference in how it looks and feels. 
So when you when you're hitting like the when your average is the three seventy three, I know you've had a club head speed of one forty four and a ball speed of two twelve. Mm-hmm. James Hart, what is an average swing for you? What would you say you're putting, you're exerting your force? If 100% was the fastest you could possibly swing it, when you're swinging on a regular basis, what percentage of force are you using? Um, on the golf course, iron play, I never go 100%. Um, just simply like, I think it's also a thing that people don't realize is you want a lot of speed, but with more speed, the margins get a lot smaller. Um, so iron play, I'm anywhere between, geez, taking some off from 70% to 85%. There are times with long irons where like I can get the max out of the club, then I'll go after it. But um, drivers, I'd say probably between 85 and 95% if there's a, a pretty wide fairway out there. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's, I think it's also like the distance thing is great. I mean, we've seen statistically how much it aids you and it's a big thing that a lot of guys are going after, but the control aspect of it, like you can see a big difference in the guys who have gained a lot of distance the last year. It's like Dylan Fratelli's done an unbelievable job the last 18 months in gaining distance. But last season, his strokes gained off the tee never really improved because he needs to now learn how to adapt that speed into control as well. Right. Um, so it's always a balance that that we play with and being gifted with speed is incredible, but knowing when to kind of use that gas pedal is is something you gotta kind of get used to once you develop that power. Yeah, we've uh, we've talked about it here on the podcast many, many times is that you know Dustin Johnson hits it a long ways. I know compared to you, he does hit it a long ways, yeah. but Dustin Johnson uh, moves it pretty well. And then but he'd always hit it far, but was never really able to score. But yeah. then he took one one off season and he just worked on his wedges. And he had, I think I read somewhere he had three swings with each wedge and he had a distance he could hit. And that's really when he became number one in the world, when he was able to score. So yeah. how much effort do you put into your scoring clubs now that you are able to hit it so far with having a short iron in your hand on most par fours? Uh, look, I'd say I've, my putting's really the key to my game. Um, if my driving and putting are good, I, I generally have pretty good weeks. But I would say the biggest room for improvement is that scoring area from 70 to 130 yards because I have a ton of those shots on the course. And and there's a bunch of gaps in there that, that I'm working on, on filling distance-wise. And, and like you say, having those three different swings with wedges, which I do have that system in place, but getting to a point where it's automatic and you know under the gun the numbers that you're going to hit because it's a completely different story being able to do it either in practice rounds or social rounds on the range and knowing when you're under the gun with a bit of adrenaline going how that's going to affect the ball. Um, But I would say most of my time is spent between putting and and those clubs, um, especially now transitioning forward because I've made a lot of changes in my swing. Um, Like I said, once my body settled, we could actually sit down um, and look at the characteristics of my swing, the movement capabilities that I have and kind of get a blueprint for what'll be the most consistent for me. And that stuff takes time. Like I'm, I'm under no, no illusion that it's, that it's just a flip of a switch. There's a ton of work that has to go into it. And um, yeah, I think there's, there's room for improvement in those scoring clubs. And that's essentially where the money's made. You can see the guys who, who essentially, are quoted as being the ATM machines of the tour. 
um, guys like a Matt Kucha, um, a Rory Sabatini, even now come like Colin Morikawa, John Rahm, those guys have been performing the last two years because of their ball striking. Um, and I think with the addition of, of things like Shotlink, you, you're able to see the correlation between improvements in certain areas and performance. Um, and those guys have kind of gotten it to a point where if they have a good putting week, they win because their ball striking keeps them in the game week in and week out. And that's when these guys tend to go on, on, on the big runs they do. I mean, when Bryson won the U.S. Open, I think for a 12-month period to that day, he was something like 93% inside 10 foot on the greens. Wow. So his, um, his distance is obviously a massive attribute, and it's become a part of his brand. And I think he's doing a lot to push that aspect of the game forward. But it comes down to scoring. And any of these guys, when they go on their runs, it's, it's about putting because their ball striking is already so good. So you would say it's much more important to be really good around the greens, whether it's putting, whether it's chipping, whether it's your short iron play, that's much more important than it is to just try and hit it far. Yeah. Look, I I mean, especially last week with like one of the big things for me that I never expected to happen was kind of like, not in a massive way, but going viral on a couple of pages on social media. I never saw that coming. It was a new experience for me. And and obviously hitting it far is the reason for that. Um, and it's an unbelievable tool to have. Not many people have the ability to kind of just decide when they're going to carry one 355 yards or whatever. Right. Um, but the control element is huge. Like John Rahm the last year was number one in almost every strokes gain category from T to green. And that keeps you in play because what it allows you to do is not really make big mistakes. Because um, you'll see the guys or any guy that makes a number on a hole, it's very, very rare that it's going to be down to inside 130. If they're having a bad week from where they're scoring clubs, it means they're not making birdies. They might make the occasional bogey, which we all do. I mean, I think people would be surprised as to, and I mean this in a good way, as to, as to how poor the statistics are from like 130 yards with regards to proximity to hole. Um, But being a good ball striker allows you to be in the game week in and week out. And then the pressure, so to speak, is just on your putting. And when that clicks in the week, you're in the hunt. Right. So what did you, as you played your first event this past week, the Amex, uh, congrats to Hudson Swafford. He's a uh, past guest here on the uh, podcast really super dude. Good to see him win. It was great to see him with his family. And I know he had wanted, he won that event before and now was able to win it this year. What did you take away from your first event played on the PGA tour, the Amex? Yeah, it was an unbelievable week. Um, the nature of, of the game for us, especially if you don't have status on the main tours is, is you get invites. Um, and I will say, the distance element to my game does make it easier to sell that in the sense because it obviously draws a ton of eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an unbelievable week, super short notice. I, I got the invite on Friday, the week before the event, and I was I was on holiday in South Africa still. Um, but the takeaways, look, I'm still processing. It's been three days since the week or two days since the week's ended, but. I think being in that environment um, teaches you a ton emotionally. And I think a big deal for me or something that I learned was just how 
intentional you have to be with the systems that you have in place week in and week out for those events because there's a ton of noise that comes along with these events and and i think i've I've got a new appreciation for the top guys in the game or any celebrity or sports person with regards to what they have to deal with when they're just trying to perform um but the level of intensity that these guys have with regards to their preparation and structures in the week leading up to events is really really impressive to see um I think because those things, when all that noise is happening, you're kind of going to default to what allows your body to be most comfortable. And those guys have gotten to a point where they default to these really, really helpful structures. Um, and that leads to consistent thought patterns where under the gun you can you can trust what you're going to do and you understand how you're feeling and, and all of that stuff. So it's a, it's a lot about time in the saddle and, and being exposed to these kinds of things, which... I mean, it's only going to help me get to where where I know I'll be. Um, but there's there's a, there's a couple things like on the course the the clarity of picture you have to have for the shot you want to hit because it doesn't really matter what it looks like that week with your swing. I mean, every week you're going to be struggling with something or feel uncomfortable or whatever. But just learning to accept that that's going to be the way it is. But being so clear on the shot you want to hit and committing to that on the course is is something that I've got a new appreciation for because I think it's a lot of guys, if you are blessed enough to have a lot of natural ability, um, you kind of just do it and it comes very easily to you. And, and that's how I've felt over the years, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but having this new element of, of really having to hone in on on start lines and finish spots, which I knew beforehand, but the degree to which you have to focus on that is is something new to me. And and I I'm super thankful to American Express for for having me out last week and Sport Five for for making it happen. So yeah, it's been an unbelievable experience and definitely gonna gonna help me going forward. Real quick, if you've got a uh, if you've got a contact at American Express, if they could help me uh, get my bill a little lower this month, I'd appreciate that. <laughs> if you got if you got any pull over there, um, how much could the average amateur? You know, I watched the thing with Rory the other day, and he was saying that if he caddied for the average amateur, mm-hmm. he would be able to take five to ten strokes off their round every single round because of the lack of committal to a shot. And I feel that as an amateur, we don't commit. Like, for example, uh, you'll stand on a tee. <clears throat> And snap hook it into the trees. And then you go in the trees and there's this two foot by three foot area. And you're like, I'm going to hit it through there. But when you were back on the tee, you couldn't even hit it in a hundred yard wide fairway. But now you're (laughs) going to hit this shoebox size hole. How difficult and how hard is it to commit to a shot, whether it is in a social round or whether it is on the PGA Tour? Um, Look, just based on what Rory said, I completely agree with him. Um, the biggest thing I see playing in these pro-ams and even just as like club golfers back home or wherever it is, is firstly commitment to shots, but also just course management. Like, like you say, if you've snapped on into the trees, um, I mean, we do that as well, but we also have a higher skill level to understand what we can pull off out of those trees. Whereas if you're say now 10 or 15 handicap, you have to understand that this is not your job <laughs> as much as you'd want it to be a job. It's not your right. job. Um, and kind of just punching out and taking double bogeys off your card. Um, 
I mean, I saw an interesting stat. The difference between guys who average 90 and guys who average 79 is literally one birdie per round. So it's not necessarily making birdies. It's keeping big numbers off your card. Um, but the commitment thing for me in social rounds is, I mean, it's something I don't even think about because I think there's a couple aspects to it. I, th I think I'm having a bit more fun with it because I kind of like to challenge myself to be like, listen, I'm going to start it on the twig sticking out on this tree and it's going to fade over the cloud that's six yards right of it and going to land here. And, and that element is also, it's a super specific shot, like I was alluding to earlier. Um, whereas I think what I've learned in tournaments is I'm trying to be perfect, um, which it's never going to work. And I think that's also why I love golf is because I'm a perfectionist by nature and it's that consistent chase of it because you can never, ever master this game. Never. Nobody's ever it's, played the perfect round of golf ever. No. And that's probably the most enjoyable, but also the most annoying thing about it mm -hmm. is that no matter how good you get where you are, there's always something you can get better at. Um, and I think that for me is a big thing I learned last week is, is that commitment because we're going to hit bad shots regardless. Like if you're playing well or playing poorly, you can hit bad shots in your round. But it's much more comforting to say that I committed to every shot I hit and still hit a bad shot. Like I can be okay with that. But what really gets under my skin is if there's something in my control that I don't do, which results in a bad shot. Because the, yeah, you know, the, sh the shot result, I can't do anything about. But everything right. leading up to that, the, the decision and the decision to commit is a massive thing. Because if you're going to commit to a shot, you can literally stand there and be like, I've done what I can do. The result of the shot happened, I can move on. Next shot, let's go. Um, and I think that's what it was last week is um, with a lack of prep and being my first event, I think I was I was trying to be a, someone that I'm not on the course. And, and that was a goal for me in the week. But I think still coming out of a bit of, not a bit of a holiday, but a good, a good off season, which is definitely needed. Um, figuring out where the misses are going to be on the course and then trying to control that so much that it leads to leads to silly mistakes. And and that's the the catch-22 of this game is in order to get some level of control, you got to relinquish all control. For sure, absolutely. Are there, are there yeah. any shots, as you sit here and talk to us today, looking back on last week, <clears throat> are there any shots you wish you had back, things you'd do different? Um, and I don't mean a bad swing per se, because that's yeah. always going to happen, like you said, but are there any decisions yeah. that you made that you're like, hey, I wish I would have done something a little different? Um, look, it's tough to say because without making those mistakes, I, I wouldn't have learned from them. Um, right. And that's that's also something I've come to terms with over the years, being a perfectionist is the only time you're going to learn is when you, I don't want to use the word fail, but when you do make those mistakes, because... Yeah. If everything goes well, you don't think you need to get better at anything. But yeah, there's a, there's a couple of shots off the top of my head where I wish I was clear in the picture of what I wanted to do. Like I had a general idea of the shot I wanted to hit, but um, just being a bit clearer with, with the decision and the commitment of it, I think. Um, I think there were definitely a couple of shots that I was I was playing tentative um, or playing, playing not to make a mistake, if that makes sense. Um, Whereas I know that's not who I am practice wise, uh, social round wise. And, and I think that's the, 
that's a big takeaway for me is is the differentiator between the guys at the top and call it where I am now is not a skill level. I can hit any shot they can hit. I can hit any putt they can hit. I've probably got shots they don't have because of the distance element of my game. But the freedom at which they play under the gun is the same freedom that they have in, in practice rounds or in practice. Um, so that mentality of complete lack of care of the result or like I don't really care what happens here because right. like deep, deep down I know I'm a good golfer um, and it's, it's just around the golf and learning the skills and carrying that through from practice into play is what separates those guys from, from the rest of the field. Do you take any solace or do you take any joy from looking at the, at the leaderboard, you look at it and you finished ahead of Jonas Blix, the former PGA tour winner. <laughs> you did finish even with DL three. I mean, probably world golf hall of famer. Uh, yeah. Phil Mickelson, only one shot better. I mean, do you, do you take a look at that and say, Hey, you know what? I, I, did you walk away from last week saying to yourself, James Hart, I can play on the PGA tour. I can, you know, I can play with these guys. Uh, it's probably going to sound funny to people if they look at the leaderboard um, for me to be like, yeah, yeah, sure, I can do that. But um, last week, I don't think was necessarily for me about the leaderboard as much as like my goal was to play well. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it was going to be a massive learning experience and coming off the coming off the holiday, I knew that there's going to be things that I'm going to learn about my game, which I don't necessarily want to learn because it's going to be from mistakes. Right. Um, but yeah, a massive takeaway for me was it's not a skill thing. Like I've got everything I need in order to play. Good. Um, and that that's a that's a big thing. It gives me a lot of confidence going forward that I don't need to reinvent the wheel um, with regards to the skills that I have and the shots that I can hit. I I've spent a ton of time on it off the course um, with personal stuff in my life that I've gone through. But the the mental aspect of just being able to carry over that freedom. Um, is probably where I'll place most of my time going forward. And and guys know that. Um, but I, I was speaking to a friend back home is you don't know what you don't know until you know, if that right. makes any sense to someone. Yeah, it, makes, it does. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And until you're in that environment and you need to kind of experience that for yourself and how it relates to your own game and own personality, you don't really understand that what you're going to apply or, or carry into the next week or next month or whatever. Um, but yeah, that was huge for me seeing like, even just in warmups and practice rounds, like I played with Nick Watney on the Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was one of my favorite golfers growing up. He's with the same manager that I'm with Ben Harrison. And Ben was kind enough to kind of set up that practice round, knowing that that uh, Nick was one of my best friends, or not best friends, but uh, favorite golfers when I was growing up. And right. and he's won world golf championships. He was top 10 player in the world. He's top 50 career money earnings on the PJ Tour. And, and playing with him, just seeing, like, there's no difference in our game skill-wise. Um, it's down to a couple things of experience. He's had a ton of experience being being in that position and and playing against the best players in the world but it's just the freedom the freedom that they play with is is incredible to see firstly if for anyone who's been in the arena of competitive sports um, right. to understand to understand the fact that they can kind of play without the fear of consequences an incredible thing to see but and is that yeah, something that you think will come with with reps 
Just, just um, more playing time? With, ri- <clears throat> with reps, yes, but it's also decisions. Um, not, And I don't mean decision shot-wise. It's a decision to to be far more into the process than the result. Um, and that's it's a tough thing for me because I think a perfectionist by nature only grades the process by the outcome. Um, and I think it's a lot of guys get, get caught up in that, but if you can control what you can control to the best of your ability, there's pretty much nothing else you can do. And that mental process that that you can go through in order to get to a place of freedom is is within your control. How well were you received last week by other players as you were there? Um, other guys, did you feel like a warm welcome? As you know, you are a rookie in the tour, and yet you but yet you come with this kind of story behind you of, hey, this is the guy that hits it a mile. Um, how well were you received by other tour players? Did you feel welcomed? <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't even classify myself as a rookie. I'd, I'd say it, I was more debutant than a rookie because I don't have status on the tour, but um, it was unbelievable, man. Um, the guys on tour are super, super nice guys. And awesome. I said it in an interview that week where a lot of people say, be careful of meeting your idols because they might fall short of what the expectations you built up in your head, but that was definitely, definitely not the case. Like I got to meet a bunch of guys that I'd, I'd grown up watching. And, and as much as it's my job, I'm still a fan of the game. Um, I on Sunday when I missed the cut, I still went to go walk with Rom for nine holes. It's, I mean, I still love watching it. It's unbelievable to see, but that was something that was so cool for me is, is all of these guys who have made millions of dollars and, They've got people wanting things from them every day and they're also there to do their job, but they like took time in either in their practice or in their warm up. Like on Friday morning, I was hitting balls next to Zach Johnson on the range uh-huh. and like he just came over to me and was like, Hey bro, I'm Zach Johnson. Nice to meet you. And I was like, of course I know you're Zach Johnson. Right. Um, um, but <laughs> And then, and then you hit your five iron as far as he hit his driver right after that. <laughs> yeah, but look, I would change hitting my five iron as far as his driver for two majors, man. Like I know, right? <laughs> it is, it is. But it was, it was unbelievable for the guys. Even like in in the physio trucks and in the locker rooms and player dining, and they were so welcoming. And and that's a really cool thing to see because I think they all have an understanding of they've been in my position before right. where they're making their first tour start and all these expectations and everything that comes with it. So I think they can empathize with that, but they were super welcoming. Did you notice any guys like kind of stopping and watching because of how far you hit the ball when you were hitting the driver? <laughs> yeah, look, I never, um, that whole element of last week is not something that I ever expected. Um, right. I never thought I would make any like media feature or <laughs> anything like that. And then I played the practice from La Quinta on Tuesday by myself, which was sick, beautiful golf course. And then, Tuesday morning, I played with Nick and then got to the range to do work, like practice work. Right. And next thing I know, there's like 50 people behind me on the range, like tournament directors, reps, players, psychologists, like people standing there and I'm busy doing drills and eight times. And I know why they're all there. Right. Um, And after a while of hitting eight times, they kind of leave and whatever. And Eventually, probably like an hour down the line, I put out a driver, hit one driver, and it was like, bro, it was nuts. Um, people 
come to stand behind me. I hit one driver, then the guys from GC Quad came over. They're like, bro, can we put the track down, the um, GC Quad down? I'm like, yeah, bro, go for it. They're like, what's your stock number? I'm like, oh, stock ball should be like 203. Uh, Hit a drive, ball speed's like 206. Obviously, like I've got massive adrenaline pumping with all of this going on because it's never happened. Um, And then they're like, okay, hit one. So I hit one, gets to 212 or 211, which I surprised myself with. Um, So I had three drivers that day. That was it. Um, And for the rest of the week, I actually did my practice at the hideaway, um, which I was lucky enough to stay at, which is like two, three minutes down the road. But Mm -hmm. for the simple fact that um, because it was such a new experience to me and I knew that after that experience that I can't really hit drivers without being um, watched by a ton of people and that would affect my practice. Um, Yeah, bro, it was nuts, man. Like, it's obviously something you know comes with a game and when you're young, you want to be one of the best players in the world and that's still my goal, but you don't necessarily realize what that comes with. Um, And I've got a new appreciation for guys like um Morikawa and Ram and DJ and Rory and all of those guys and Tiger's on like yeah he's right. on a different planet that's another and stratosphere that's like you know I for example I'm a huge football fan and my world came crashing down on Sunday afternoon uh, I'm a Tampa I Bay Buccaneers that, fan yeah and so you know listen it, we had an amazing run I'll forever be thankful for last year's Super Bowl my son and I were lucky enough to be there we almost made a comeback, but it, it's once again, and I don't know if Brady's going to come back or if he's going to retire. It's really up in the air. But to be able to perform on that stage and the whole world is looking at you, it, it really is something absolutely, I don't think the average person understands. And not not to say that what you were going through was what Tom Brady's gone through, no. or Tiger Woods has gone through. Exactly, but, yeah. But to, but to thrust yourself into that stage and be watched, you do realize on a, on a smaller scale what these guys are dealing with. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's complete insanity, to be honest. Like, um, I was a drop in the proverbial ocean compared to what those guys go through. And right. that was the lesson that led to what I spoke about earlier about the intentionality of their structures. Because, yes, they've had time in the saddle to get used to that type of deal, but off the bat for them to. I think a better way for me to put it is to just play for yourself. Like when you play in a social round or practice round for us, we're not playing for anyone. Like we're playing for ourselves, and, and having that same kind of mentality on the course is, is what it's all about, man. Like that's why I got into this game. I adore this game. I love what it brings out of me. I love the way that it tests me. Um, but just playing for yourself when you're under the gun. But I was actually speaking to to my manager about this is like idolizing tiger when I was younger. Uh Um, I told him if someone had to ask me if you would take his career at the expense of your life being as public as his has been, would you take it? And before it was not even a question. I'd be like, bro, this is the dumbest question in the world. Of course, I'm going to take his career. Right. Right. That's Um, that's exactly what I would say sitting on this side, but now it's changed. Um, Yeah. It's, Look, for him, it's not even about the golf. He's kind of, he was the first golfer to transcend our sport. Right. You can ask football fans, soccer fans. I mean, 
dart fans and they'll know right. exactly who Tiger Woods is. Um, and I don't know if I would take 83 victories, 15 majors at the expense of every single day of my life from when I was 11 years old being exposed to people who actually have absolutely nothing to do with you. Um, their opinions don't mean anything about the relationships in your life. Um, their critique essentially means nothing to the profession nothing. that you're doing. And yeah, I've got an unbelievable amount of respect for the life that guy has lived. It's probably been incredibly difficult at times. And I think people who are on the outside of his story, I'm one of those people on the outside. I've like, I'm not attributing anything that I went through to Tiger, but um, I think people who have watched his story, especially the last couple of years or from 09 or 2010, I think people need to have a lot more empathy for that guy because it's absolute insanity trying to navigate growing up, being a global superstar, then having kids, trying to parent well, trying to manage healthy relationships in your life, all at the same time being kind to yourself right. and allowing yourself to just live a normal life. It's nuts. It is. And I see the same thing with, with Brady. That's why now, uh, yeah. now that the season has ended, he, the retirement word has come up and, and the things that he's saying are things that he's never said before. And yeah. as a fan, I would love to have Tom Brady back, but as a person, if it came out later today, tomorrow, next week that he says, you know what? I'm done. I respect that decision a hundred percent. He's given 20, 21, 22 years of his life, played football at an amazing level that I don't think we'll ever see again, uh, especially longevity wise. And he's got the right to walk away when he's ready. And the same with Tiger. If Tiger decides he doesn't want to play professionally anymore and what he wants to do is play these, as he calls them, hit and giggles with Charlie, then mm -hmm. he's, he's earned that right to walk away as well too. And I mean, it's just, it, it, it's difficult to understand what it's like from their perspective as a fan yeah. perspective. Our perspective is a little jaded. Um, they both have earned the right to walk away when they're ready. And if that's tomorrow, uh, it's not a day too soon. It's a day too soon for a fan, but it's not a day yeah. too soon for them. Yeah. So I'm, I was at TCU for, for a year. Um, I was recruited there to play golf and, and got into, I was into American sports before then, but that really cemented my love for American sports. So I'm a huge NFL guy and, and I'm marrying a Texan girl. So I'm sure I'm going to have to adopt the Cowboys. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. At, at Sunday, which is going to be brutal. That is. But yeah, I've been lucky enough to kind of pick players over teams and he's <clears throat> not just football wise. He's one of my favorite athletes of all time. Brady. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. In the way. And, and the reason I think that he hasn't retired is firstly, he loves the game. Um, but secondly, he's playing for himself, man. Like, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that selfishly in the sense that he's not there for his teammates because he's an unbelievable team. Oh, I think he's sure. one, of the, one of the only athletes in a team sport where there's not a single teammate who would say a bad word about him. Right. Um, but he's mastered the act of playing for himself with all the eyes in the world watching. He knows what he's capable of, but he just loves doing it. He doesn't like, and I'm, completely speaking on assumptions here, but just being in, in sport as a career, like I can see the fact that that guy just truly loves playing football. He does. Um, He's and got he nothing left to prove. I mean, there's, at this no. point, 
He owns every record there is. There's really nothing to prove to anyone except, like you said, himself. Play as long as you want to play. Yeah. As long as he feels like he can still compete, why should he walk away? He doesn't owe an explanation to anybody. And the day that he decides he does want to walk away, once again, he doesn't owe an explanation again. He can just say, I'm done. Yeah, man, you can split his career up into three parts, and every part will be a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, without he's, a doubt. He's absolutely nuts at what he's done, and I think he's paved the way for a lot of guys that have come through now. You can you can see, like, so Holmes and Alan, in my opinion, put up arguably oh. the best football game I've ever seen. That was unreal. Other than when Brady came back in the Falcon Super Bowl, that's it's the best right. football game I've ever seen. But those guys have taken attributes from guys like Joe Montana and Brett Favre, who were like gunslingers, and adopted that aspect of the game with the mentality of Tom Brady, with the time he puts into preparation and watching film and the way in which they look off their bodies. He's he's changed the game, and it's it's unbelievable to see what he's done, but also the impact that he's had on the guys coming up. Yeah, it is. It, it is unbelievable. Uh, I, I Selfishly, I hope he comes back, uh, but I understand yeah. if he doesn't. And uh, it was, it was what one hell of a run. James, before we get into our uh, E9, we're going to ask you a quick nine questions. I do want to ask you, what currently are you working on in your swing that you are taking to the golf course every day and trying to get better at? Yeah, so I've recently made a swing change, or not a swing change, a coaching change. I was with um, the same coach, Llewellyn van Leeuwen, in South Africa for 18 years. Um, he was the only coach I've ever had. He's almost solely responsible for for where I am and the swing that I have, and I'll forever be in debt to him. We have a relationship that, that transcends uh, my profession, so luckily that nothing has changed, and he just he's wished me the best and just wants me to, to succeed. But I've gone to a coach who was responsible for my short game. Um, he did, he's done my short game for about 10 years and knows me very well. got a good relationship with him. So we've worked on a, a couple of changes, actually moved coaches officially the week before Amex. Um, but the changes haven't been massive. What I'm, what I'm currently working on is consistently being in good posture over the ball. Um, I think a lot of amateurs that I see, they ask me for advice and, and most of their swing faults can be attributed to postural elements. Um, and being 6'9", a small mistake in the posture leads oh. to a massive effect in the swing. Um, so really being consistent in my posture and alignment over the ball. Secondly, uh, my takeaway tends to get a little bit inside, which which leads to a couple of faults in the downswing. So getting that a little bit steeper going back. And then in my opinion, I don't think you can control much of your golf swing further than the takeaway. Um, I think a lot of what happens in your swing is a reaction to what happens from good fundamentals and the takeaway. So my takeaway getting a little bit steeper. And then I think you actually mentioned the hip turn. Um, I'm really just trying to load into my, into my right hip internally, if that makes sense to the golf nerds out there. Mm -hmm. um, that allows the club to steepen a little bit at the, at the top of the backswing um, and really just allows you to rotate on the way down. So my takeaway and then... We had gotten at one time, you had heard restrict your hip turn. Keep trying to, yeah. to restrict the hip turn. It'll shorten your swing in there. So you're doing something totally different. It does seem like golf instruction sometimes seems to be a little faddish and everything's kind of changes all at one time. Yeah, look, I, th I definitely think 
I'd say up until about seven, eight years ago, it definitely was faddish. Like guys used to teach the bump into the left hip where uh-huh. you would lead the dancing with the left hip. And I think that created a generation of slices um, because if your left hip gets essentially outside your center of gravity, your upper body has to lean back in order to get the strike of the ball, which if your hands flip to save it, sometimes going to go straight or you're going to have a quick right. left miss. And if they stay passive, which is what you want, then ball's going to come out with a massive slice. So um, I think the addition of technology like force plates has been massive for golf instruction. And I only think that golf instruction is going to become less faddish and more consistent in what they're going to teach because they have the access to information that allows them to identify patterns with the best players in the world. Right. So that it's, it's actually weird you say that. So the bigger hip turn for me has allowed my swing to become shorter because I get long in my swing and very quick in the changeover because I have, I have very quick impulse muscles. Um, and the bigger hip turn has allowed my arm swing to essentially be shorter because I want my arms to stop turning when my body stops turning. Okay. Everything kind of stays in sync. So really internally rotating on that right side in the hip um, has allowed my arms to stop moving when my chest does and then rotating into that left heel. So the sensation that I have is going back that my right pocket kind of moves behind me. Mm-hmm. And then on the way down, the left pocket also just moves out the way. And, and you can see that down the line, um, my left pocket's visible, I think like halfway down my backswing and everything that I'm speaking about now sounds really technical, but um, in golf terms, it's super simple. We literally yeah, just trying feels. to, yeah, we're just trying to get the club to be steep enough that it can shallow in the downswing so that my hands can be passive through the ball. Right. That makes sense. That's, that's great. Cause you know, a lot of that stuff is, is stuff that I have tried to do. Like I, I try and get a steeper shoulder turn, feel like my left, my left shoulder is working yeah. more down than I'm not losing my spine angle and standing up out of it. Cause that sucks the club inside and then get really flat. And then the only other fix is to yeah. come out over the top. So over to try top, to feel yeah. more rotation and feel that when I do, when my chest stops turning, the, the club stops moving instead of getting yeah. that arm carry, which everything yeah. collapses over you. So that's, yeah, so the, the arm carries um, definitely a way in which to hit the ball further if anyone's trying to do that. Um, you can see most of the long drive guys, their arms at the top of their swing essentially get disconnected from their chest because it's just an extra lever element in which they can load the club over a longer period of time. Right. But for control, you can see it with, I mean, I think Dustin's the only guy who really gets a little disconnected at the top, but he's just an athletic freak like, um, right. I think it's da- it's dangerous for amateurs to try and copy guys who are like what we call one of ones. Um, right. Who he, would you say? He, actually, real, real quick, as 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 a last thing before we get into the E nine, because I know yeah. I, I told you I wouldn't hold you this long. Um, no, bro, I've got time. I'm loving who, this. Who who would you say as an amateur, as somebody that we should? And obviously, everybody's body's different. They're doing different things, and and yeah. and and our eyes are not trained as well as your eyes or a coach's eyes. Who is a good pro to watch, whether it's YouTube or the V1 app or whatever it is, however you watch yeah. your golf swings, uh, Instagram. Well, who is a good pro that is something that is somebody good to study, emulate? Me. It's me, Froggy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not um, 6'9", 255, so I'm not sure that that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's actually been funny. The guys like... Um, I mean, is Morikawa one? No, I wouldn't actually say Morikawa's one because him, Hovland, 
Kepka and DJ have a wrist position at the top of their backswing that if that isn't like if you hand a kid a club and he picks it up, swings back and his left wrist is bowed. Uh-huh. I wouldn't try and teach someone how to do that. Um, right. I've unfortunately, when I turned pro, I was out for 18 months with three wrist surgeries and it wasn't because of anything I was doing in my swing. It was a repetitive stress injury. It was supposed to be four months and turned into a whole deal, whatever. Right. But through that process, I unfortunately got really intimately aware of how the wrist works in the golf swing and, and what can create injury. So unless you like hand a kid a club, he grips it, swings back and his left wrist is bowed like that. Um, I wouldn't teach someone that because there's a muscle in your wrist or actually a ligament called the triangular fiber cartilage complex in your left wrist that's in that bowed position. If you don't have the mobility and it's not a natural thing, you're going to tear the snot out of that thing. Okay. Um, and those guys, Ram as well being one of them, that wrist position leads to an incredibly stable club face through the ball because they can literally leverage that boat position and turn through and the club face just doesn't close down on them. Right. Um, and that leads to them being incredible, incredible ball strikers. But a guy who I think really has a phenomenal golf swing. Um, he's, he's, I think six, four. So he's a taller guy, but I think his swings very call it repeatable for the amateur. And a lot of Americans I don't think would know him because he plays in Europe. He actually just won in Abu Dhabi last week. It's Thomas Peters. Right. Yeah, his his golf swing is super simple. He's a tall guy, long levers, but his golf swing is very short um, for as long as his arms are. Club stays really nicely up in front of him. Super simple movement, nothing funny. Um, but I think it's absolutely beautiful to watch. That's cool. Well, thank you so much. I'll have, to, I'll have to check out his swing on Instagram, YouTube. I'll be, I'll be searching, and I'm sure a ton of other people will as well. So yep. before we let you go, ask you a quick nine questions. You give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Here we go. Question number one. Uh, what is the best shot you have ever hit on the golf course? Uh, I hit a four iron um, in the SA Amateur once from like 255 yards to a back left tuck pin with out of bounds about five yards left the green i faded it off that out of bounds line to like three foot which was nuts wow that's insane wow number two who is your celebrity wingman in the bar if you weren't engaged and you were looking to pick up girls who's your celebrity wingman in the bar um might sound weird but i think will smith man will smith that's not bad that's good i yeah. think he's got game that's got he's got game yeah. for sure all right, number two, music on the golf course. Rock, hip-hop, country, dance? No, so um, I actually listen to a lot of indie music. Uh-huh. And, bro, it's really good for my rhythm, man. That's good. good. <laughs> but, but, you, but you do like music on the golf course? Uh, I am a music freak. Um, okay, good. There's a good. Ton, of, ton of pictures of me whistling while I play that I don't even know that I'm whistling. <laughs> what shows are you binge-watching right now as you're traveling all over the country? Oof. Um, I'm about to start the next season of Ozark, which I'm stoked for. Right. Everybody's talking about that Ozark. I, I haven't watched any of Ozark yet, so I've still got the whole the whole thing to catch up on. But everybody seems to be really into the fact. I guess they they uh, release a half of a season at a time. 
<laughs> no, I think they released the full season, but Ozark is nuts. So it's like 10 episodes a season, but the first seven episodes, you're like, oh, nothing's happening. And the last three episodes, you kind of don't even know like where to look. It's <laughs> insane. But The Flight, yeah, I actually binged uh, the Colts in-season hard knocks, which was really cool. Have you watched any Yellowstone? I haven't watched Yellowstone, but I've got to do a shameless plug here. My fiance is actually an extra in 1883. Oh, nice. Whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. She was a, uh, she was a bar lady um, as an extra. So I actually got to watch that. Yeah. (laughs) Player you'd be most nervous to be paired with on the PGA tour. Uh, To play with. Yeah. Um probably tiger that's selfishly why i don't want him to retire i'd just be nervous because like he's the greatest of all time in my opinion yeah i agree uh cardio or weight training what do you prefer weight training weight training for sure all right uh instagram twitter facebook or tiktok uh don't have instagram oh don't have tiktok don't blame you (laughs) try to uh delete my facebook account but the lizard people at facebook don't allow you to do that (laughs) <laughs> and uh i'd say instagram man yeah uh, yeah i love instagram too uh when you're on the road dine in or DoorDash. you want to go somewhere and eat uh, or have it brought to you dine in dine in all right i like that and number nine what is the most you have gotten into somebody's pocket on the golf course for what dollar amount <laughs> and do we know them <laughs> um yeah, you might actually know him. He's a uh, South African player on the European tour, George Katia. Yeah. Yeah, played um, like a best ball with him, another pro, and actually a friend of mine who plays professional rugby, Jason Jenkins, and they gave Jason like 18 shots over the round because right. he's like, he just plays recreationally, and I think he shot like 80 that day. Ooh. So I'd love to say that it was all me, but we absolutely cleaned them up, man. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, James Hart, where can we see you play golf again? What, what exactly is your status moving forward and, and, and how will you play more PGA tour events? Yeah. So I um, met a bunch of tournament directors last week um, who would love me. I'd love to have me out at the, at the events because apparently people like seeing someone who hits it far. Yeah, they do. Um, but I'm flying to Saudi Arabia on Wednesday for the Saudi open. Um, I have an unbelievable field there next week. Um, a lot of the top players in the world are going good world ranking points coming up and looking forward to that of shaking off the holiday rust in the Amex. And then after that, I'm playing seven challenge tour events, which is the corn fair equivalent to the European tour. And then I've got two European tour events. So, past that i don't know yet that leads me to the end of april but yeah so i'll be playing in in those events golf channel should be covering them yeah um, but yeah who knows man like this game changes in a week if if you win the right event or play well in the right event your entire schedule changes awesome good deal well, we wish you nothing but good luck appreciate your time and uh thanks for being an awesome guest and, and uh good luck to you moving forward man thanks for having me frog it's been a ton of fun hopefully do it again sometime You got it, man. We would love to have you on again. James Hart, thank you so much. Don't forget, golf is on today. We have the the, uh, Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines starting on Wednesday. We will finish on Saturday this week. So a little bit of a different thing with the uh, NFL playoffs going on. So be prepared. Watch golf. And thank you once again for tuning in to the Stripe Show podcast.